WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. Break the wall! Break down the walls! In case you missed it earlier, Ben Roethlisberger referred to the result of the Patriots Steelers game as God's will. Well, apparently on the eighth day, God created Gronk. After on the seventh day, when he got done resting, he created Brady. Because they look godlike every time they play the Pittsburgh Steelers. And apparently, God also turns all the Steelers' defenders into pillars of salt whenever they're trying to defend Gronkowski. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden here, final hour of the show. And I wrote about this for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review today. And it's nothing that people want to read, so I'm either going to make you read it or I'm going to make you hear it now. Because for as much as we want to complain about this, for as much as we want to qualify every single Patriots victory as, for some reason or another, being fluky, and I mentioned this in the 4 o'clock hour, we act like the 0-4 win of the Steelers against the Patriots and the 11 win of the Steelers against the Patriots, those were how the games were supposed to go, but every one of those 11 times Brady's beaten the Steelers, it was for some fluky reason. A.B. got knocked out early. Bell got knocked out early. Uh, ben didn't play and Landry had to. Troy Edwards ran out of bounds. The headsets didn't work. Spygate, Deflategate. Plex dropped the ball in the end zone. This time it'll be the robbery of Jesse James and A.B. got hurt. And, and that's what we're going to use to suggest to ourselves that next time will be different. Here's one thing that's always a constant, though. Brady and Gronkowski. And here's... One thing that is also a constant about Brady and Gronkowski against the Steelers. They're better against the Steelers than they're against anybody else. They play better against your team than they do the average team. And here's where my gripe comes out about this topic of conversation. And every time I bring up something positive about the Patriots or some sort of tilt in the Patriots' direction when analyzing a Steelers' Patriots game, I get accused of being a Patriots lover because I was born in New England and I went there for a year. That just made me hate them worse. You got it backwards. I had to live around that. I've still got families that, that part of my family lives there. My dad's side is right there on Beacon in Boston. I'm still super saturated with this crap. I was surrounded by it for 15 months. I'm worse than you when it comes to hating the Patriots. But I do point out why they dominate the Steelers. And if you don't like hearing it, that's why all of you gamble on the Steelers all the time when they play against New England. This time's going to be different, and you lose your money. Hey, by the way, by the way, I wonder how much money, did anybody study this? How much money was lost in Vegas or swung in Vegas because of what happened in the Jesse James touchdown? Like, you do realize the Jesse James touchdown going on the board and then off the board flipped both the over-under and the cover. That was a big decision. Not just for the results of the standings, but for all of you that had a few shekels on the game, too. But when it comes to Gronk and Brady, what nobody wants to admit in this city, in this region, in that building, it's not just Gronk and Brady are great. They're better against you than they are against just about anybody else. Here, I'll give you some numbers here. Since Gronkowski has never faced the Steelers in the playoffs, we'll just do regular season numbers for him. Six games against the Black and Gold, he has averaged 110 yards, eight touchdowns. Only Buffalo has allowed more scores from Gronkowski, and he has played the Bills 12 times as opposed to 
five times, or I think six times now with the Steelers. Yeah, six times. So twice as many games as the only team where he's got more touchdowns than against Pittsburgh. The only guy from Pittsburgh to ever slow down Rob Gronkowski is George Novak. That's it. Only one. 664 career yards against the Steelers, just 219 more yards than any other team he's faced outside of the AFC East. Think about that. 219 more yards than anybody else outside of his own division. He's against Miami. He's only had 24 fewer yards against the Steelers than he has against Miami. He plays Miami twice a year. Brady, as we know, 11 and 2 versus the Steelers, including 3 and 0 in the playoffs. Touchdown to interception ratio of 30 to 4. In non-divisional play, only the Colts have suffered more losses against Brady. The Jaguars are the only AFC team to yield a higher completion percentage against him than the Steelers, 68% to 71%. And Brady's average of 312 yards per game against the Steelers is tops amongst AFC competition. So am I being too harsh when I say the Steelers have to do better against Brady and Gronk? I don't think I am. Do you? 412-333-9939. The whole, like, because I was getting accused of this after the game on Sunday. I was talking just not, I was talking to friends, uh, some stuff on Twitter, uh, discussion on the KDK Sports Showdown. Well, Brady and Gronk do that to everybody. No, they do not. They don't do that to everybody. They're better against the Steelers than they are against almost everybody else in the National Football League. They don't just do this. the most inaccurate narrative in Pittsburgh sports history that Brady and Gronk do this to everybody. No, they're Hall of Famers. They're first ballot guys. They might go down as the best at their positions. They're that good. But part of the reason they are that good is built off of what they've done to the Steelers. Their average numbers are well below what they do against Pittsburgh. What they do against Pittsburgh pulls up their averages. And that's not how it should work. If the standard is the standard, then at least meet the standard of what the rest of the league does if you think you're that much better than everybody else except for New England. And the Steelers are. They are a better team than just about every other franchise for the past 10 to 15 years. There's only been a handful that have been better. New England's one of them. Maybe they're the only one. If you it depends on who you, you want to compute the Super Bowl berths or the Super Bowl championships or overall winning percentage, however you want to do it. If they're not second, they're in the top five. So if they're that much better than everybody else, they shouldn't be that subpar to those two. You get beaten by the two same guys all the time. Unless Gronk doesn't play, and then you somehow lose to them too anyway, like in the AFC Championship game. You know... It, It's not like I'm asking them to do better against Gronkowski and Brady than anybody else. I just don't want to see them be worse than everybody else. It's not asking too much. It's saying be average against... If they're average against those two, you don't see these numbers. And other teams are not average against them either, but they win more often or they're not beaten as badly. The Dolphins have been an incredibly average football team for a long time now. They do better against Brady and Gronk than anybody. Or at least Brady, anyway. Actually, some of the numbers I gave you, Gronkowski, too. 
But you get my point. It, you don't have to be beaten this bad by these two all the time. Let's go to Jason, who's calling from Ohio. Hi, Jason. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Jim. You, you got me off the beat there. That rant was perfect. They're goats against Pittsburgh. They're Hall of Famers against everybody else. But, hey, I'm not a Steelers fan. And by goats, for our older listeners out there, you're going with Twitter goat, which, of course, means greatest of all time. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But, hey, I, I'm not a Steelers fan, but I'm full for y'all because I can't stand Michigan Tom Brady. But it, have they thought since you lost Shazier, your most athletic linebacker, your second most athletic linebacker is what? Not saying put him in single coverage with Gronk, but check him at the line with Davis or Mitchell or whoever is the over the top. Yeah, I don't think it's a crazy idea. Uh, they've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. So I'm in favor of giving it a look. Um, since a lot of times what they're doing now, especially with the nickel, they got concerned that the nickel was being run on too much. So, you know, they're keeping Hargrave in and now taking out one of the two outside linebackers and leaving the other inside guys in because they don't want to be run on as much. If you're going to do that, then leave in Watt so if they do throw, he can cover, and he's better in coverage. Uh, They've tried a lot of other things that haven't worked. I wouldn't be opposed to trying that. Tom, who's calling uh, from his car as well, he wants to talk about that same topic. Go ahead, Tom. I'm in traffic, so honk if you hate Gronk. (laughs) Well, you are. I'm not. There's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> beep, beep. Quack, quack. I mean, I don't know what you want me to do here. Go ahead. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, similar to what the last... It just... It, it's not that. It, they're just not planning to use them. I don't know why they kept them then. And I, I do think you're onto something, and I mentioned this before, even going back to the middle part of the preseason, that there's a look there you could pull off. If he's good enough in coverage, you can have Watt play the middle sometimes, and you can have uh, James Harrison rush. Uh, I'm not... It, it makes sense to me. Brian from Harrison City. Hi, Brian. Right. Brian, you with us? Go ahead. I'm here. Can you hear me? I got you. Go ahead. Okay. Hey, um, the Gronkowski, the last touchdown he scored towards the end of that game. Did you notice, in my opinion, I think he taunted the defensive player there when he was down It was the the two-point conversion, but yes, and he did taunt him. He laughed at him. (laughs) It was the very definition of taunting. Yes, it was. Exactly. He stood over top and he laughed real hard. You can see his body motioning. And, you know, obviously they don't see that. The refs, that is. They don't see that stuff. And um, I tuned in a little late, so I'm not, I'm not sure how you stand on the, the last touchdown or supposed touchdown for the Steelers. Did, did you think it was one? Well, we did talk about it at great length. And clearly Rob Gronkowski should be suspended like Juju Smith-Schuster for taunting, right? Because that's what Juju got suspended for. Although I, that, that is kind of like a funny thing that's come up. Well, the, the refs cooked the books so that the uh, Patriots, not cooked the books, but they set things up so that the Patriots could win. You know, they, they made the decision that the Steelers touchdown didn't stand so that the Patriots could win. There's all these conspiracy theories out there. Brandon Cooks, uh, what's his name from the Jets, the tight end. Uh, the, those calls go their way as well in crucial situations. Um. They did suspend Gronkowski for a game right before the Steelers. If they wanted the Patriots to win with this willy-nilly as their suspension process is, they didn't have to suspend Gronk, but they did it. So just got to keep that in mind. that the, the guy who just caught 168 yards worth of passes was suspended before the Steelers game. I don't think they'll do it again for taunting Sean Davis. If you weren't going to laugh, you were going to cry at that point if you're a Steelers fan. Should I do one more, Bob? Okay, Sean is calling from Dormont. Hi, Sean. How you doing, Tim? Good. Uh, I just equate this 
to, I mean, if you want to equate to another sport, it's the Penguins and the Capitals. No matter how good the one team is, it's just mentally, and, and we can agree, I guess, that the Capitals were as good, if not better, than the Penguins the last two years. It's just the fact that they, for some reason, the mental hurdle that the Capitals can't, get, can't beat the Penguins and the Steelers are the same way as the Patriots. You can just see it. When after Davis dropped that interception, they were deflated. The defense was deflated. And then after the touchdown gets overturned, they were... We're losing you, Sean, but yes, I see your point about the Caps-Pens analogy. It's Steelers-Bengals, too. You know, it's, I don't think the Steelers do dumb, stupid crap to give these games away like the Bengals do with Pittsburgh, or the Bengals do to the Steelers to help them along. I don't think the Steelers do that with the Patriots, so that part of the analogy isn't accurate, but the constant inability and stubbing your toe when you think you have the opportunity there to win it and not doing it, that's where it holds water. Uh, the only difference that I'd say if you're trying to make the comp between Steelers versus Caps and what I'm talking about with the Patriots is it's the collective of this Penguins beating the Caps over and over. It's not the same two guys. All It's not just Sid and Gino. You know, it's Flurry, It's Murray. Um, it's Hornquist. You know, it's Brian Rust. You know, it's different guys that have burned many times. Justin, Justin Schultz, guys that have burned the Capitals in key situations before. Benino. Like, there are other guys who have lived up to the Penguins over the Caps all the time, carrying part of the load there, whereas it's constantly Gronk and constantly Brady over and over again to a disproportionate level versus what they do against the rest of the league. As good as they are, they're way better against the Pittsburgh Steelers than the average. That's why I'm saying it's not as impossible as we make it out to be to somehow contain them better than what the Steelers have. Again, if I'm being too hard, tell me. But but I think it's a talking point. 412-333-9939. Also want to hear from Penguins fans in the trades. I'll reset those for you if you missed it. More on Jari and Murray and goaltending. I think that needs to come up a little bit more in this conversation. Also, I'll give you one play that's getting way too much blown out of proportion attention from that Patriots game and another that isn't. That's coming up next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Double M, big fan, big fan. Well, no, I just said, I don't know what I said. I don't know what you said. Uh, double M. Yeah? The X at 105.9. Emily Ratajkowski is tweeting that she can continue to be a feminist and take her clothes off. To that I say... Dilly dilly. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. Brought to you by Chipino Restaurant and Cigar Bar, the best seafood and chop house located in the Strip. I bring on Neil Kulong from the Steelers Wire. I work with Neil at the Steelers Wire and all the other Wire sites across the National Football League on the USA Today platform. Neil joins us for a few moments here before we get to the top of the hour. More X music. And by the way, don't forget the Penguins games can be heard each and every one of them right here on 105.9 The X, including the Thursday game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hey, Neil, speaking of the dilly-dilly thing, uh, what was the reaction on Falcons Wire to Matt Ryan screaming at Mohamed Sanu to get bleeping set as I edit myself very quickly on the air? That was great, wasn't it? We we have more and more of those moments, I think, uh, coming into this NFL season. We've had, you know, obviously stuff that's happened in the past, but now it's like, the crowd is so quiet all the time. You're hearing all these great audibles that are being called. Um, I, I don't know if, if uh, Matty Ice is beats Dilly Dilly at the line, but I, just for, for the sake of gratuitous profanity, which is something I'm a big fan of, I, I'd probably give him the edge. 
Some people want replay to go away. They want fewer cameras. I don't want the parabolic microphones to go away. I like them working just the way they are. How about you? Here's my thing. Would you not honestly subscribe to this? Call it like $300 a year. You get every game, no broadcasters, just the parabolic mic feed. I would totally buy that. See, I remember they tried to do that. Are you old enough to remember when they did that? When they, I, I guess I'm not. No, and they, they did a game with no broadcasters. It was like a Jets-Bills game, and it went over like a lead balloon. Like people, think, now that you mentioned that, I have. Yeah, and I think that especially kind of what we just saw with the Patriots, there's so much complexity to football that I don't think you can do it without broadcasters. Yeah, I, I get that value of it. It's just more like, if it's a, say, like a Bills-Jets game, a game I probably don't really care about, I'd much rather hear all the stuff that's going on uncensored on the sideline than, than the broadcasters really even care all that much about the game. Just that you get the trash talk. If you've ever been down on the sideline during a game, the intensity of it is unreal. It's something that you can't uh, measure watching TV at all. It, it's just a completely different experience. It's a really unique way to, to kind of view the game. Hear the game, I should say. Yeah, the coaches would hate it, though, right? Because in the week of prep leading up to it, they'd have to change all their signals because everybody would know exactly what every verbal cue was, right? Not, not to mention the amount of stuff they're not going to be able to say, or at least the, the stuff that <laughs> they wouldn't want the public to hear. I think that would be more of their fear. Somehow, if they did this, I know Belichick would get over with it. I don't know how, but he'd figure out a way. Uh, what'd you take away from the Steelers-Patriots game beyond the Jesse James stuff, Neil? I mean, if there's a tactical thing, an X and O's thing, a storyline that you extract from Steelers-Patriots, what is it beyond the rules debate? You know what's really fun about this year's team is they win ugly to a point where, as a fan base, uh, leading into the Patriots game, everyone was so down about it. It's like, now oh, we have no chance. We took us forever to beat Baltimore. We had to come back big against Cincinnati. I think the thing that everybody overlooked is just how difficult it is to beat this team. You know, it's not even so much the Steelers beating their opponents. It's the fact that it's extremely difficult for their opponents to beat them. And we saw that up until the end uh, against the Patriots. So for me, it, it's almost more like, this is just going to make them angry. You know, they're, they're going to be more motivated now. They, they don't, you know, they're, they're throwing everything out the window in terms of style. We've known that for a while now. This team was, was capable of winning that game. Maybe to, to some degree should have won that game. And they probably took a lot away from it to a point where they're going to be extra motivated the next time they play them. I know that's kind of cliche, but, you know, they, they were the ones talking about circling on the calendar, being up for the game. To me, I thought they played like it. That, that was an excellent football game all around. You know, a couple things probably don't go their way, and I thought the Patriots obviously made the, the plays at the end that mattered. But, you know, for, for the Steelers' sake, you have to be confident going away from that. I, I think as, as, as cheesy as this is to say, that was probably a good loss for them to take right now. And Because, honestly, I think anybody in the AFC can beat anybody else. And um, you, you put everybody else out there, the Steelers are probably the toughest team. Yeah, I'm not that gracious with it, Neil, because I still feel like so long as they have Brady and Gronkowski with the way those two play against Pittsburgh, I don't know if even the rest of the roster added up for as better as it might be for the Steelers. I still don't know if they're the better team because you've got the two best players ever at their given positions, always at the height of their powers against the Steelers. They got to figure out a way to slow those two ta- those two players down better than what they have, at least to the league average, because they're well below league average when it comes to containing those two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're probably the the bottom of the league total. I would imagine they are in some categories, if not second, then last. Yes. It, what I would say is this: it, it was really interesting to me that I, I thought if you were uh, Keith Butler, in your heart of hearts, you look over the stat sheet after the game. 
if you see if you had seen that same stat sheet before the game, twenty seven points, three hundred and sixty yards, yeah, you know, I'd probably feel pretty good of that. What would stand out to me the most though is the fact that Gronkowski had half of their yards. There was nobody else really involved. There was nobody else that really killed them. So I, I think their their mission in any type of rematch is exactly as you put it. You have to find a way to slow them down. You know, maybe keep them to 100 yards, not 160. And you know, a two point conversion and a touchdown. If you can avoid those kinds of things, I think you can beat them. And I think other teams have shown this year that the Patriots really are not as good. I think as they have been in the past. I think if if there is a year that they're beatable, this is it. They've got to find a way to be able to to play man and continue to double cover Gronkowski, which they had some success with. The manner in which they do that, though, I think is a little bit trickier. They're going to have to get probably you know, a new position almost created. It's almost like the, the whole of Ryan Shazier was in that game last night, which is really, really unfortunate because I think they, they might have been able to isolate him a bit better if he was out there. My colleague, uh, Neil Kulong from the Steelers Wire, joining us here on the Mark Madden Show. Tim Benson for Mark today. I'm going to give you an overrated and underrated play from that game. All right, Neil, the overrated play or complaint is uh, the timeout that was called as they're running down the field after the Juju Smith-Schuster completion. I would say the underrated play is them not coming up with something that was directly designed to throw the ball beyond the sticks on the previous drive to get the first down. Uh, Do you agree or disagree with me on either? I, I definitely agree with the second one. That was my biggest issue. At that point in the game, it's like, look, I understand you want to keep the clock moving. You want a possession to, to you know, try to get down to the two-minute warning. You knew they were going to call a timeout anyway. So really, you may as well just try to get something beyond the first down marker. And I, I can see where they're coming from in the sense that, you know, Juju in the open field, they, they like their matchup there. We would see that in, in the, the ensuing possession, how much they like that matchup. Um, they needed to get a first down there. They really did. In my opinion, it should have been a much more aggressive play. And it, that, that's kind of the, the, you know, the spark that led to the flame down, you know, toward the end of the game that they had. Um, it, you know, it, as far as the, pen, or the, the other one that you had mentioned, I, I would agree. I don't think it was that big of an issue in the game, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm still burned about that short pass. That, that to me, that's what definitely should not have happened. Lastly, Neil, the revelation today from Mike Tomlin that part of the reason why you didn't see, and he wouldn't say it the same way that Ben did. Ben said today that there weren't two plays in the huddle. Uh, Tomlin said various plays were talked about, and I guess part of the reason why they were coming up with so many different scenarios is they were thrown a bit by the refs suggesting that there is a possibility that James would be ruled down at the one-yard line. They would have a 10-second runoff and a running clock when they got back out there. So that meant 18 seconds. You can still get off two attempts in 18 seconds if you wanted to and kick the field goal. But my question is, A, why does a team get penalized? Why is it punitive when the refs make the mistake that they have to overturn on a replay? And B would be, why did they ever think that James would have been down at the one in the first place? Yeah, I, I think there, there's. I'd like the NFL's explanation as, as to what Tomlin was told because I, it seems to me like he was being told that because he wanted the, the, the officials wanted to prepare Tomlin for the possibility that this might happen because it happened to the Lions not too long ago. Week really three, got, yeah, yeah. This rule really is designed with with a pretty sharp edge to it. I see where they're coming from in the sense that the officials making a mistake shouldn't benefit the offense to give them a free timeout either. So I, I understand why they would want to do that, but they've got to be really careful with this. This, this could really screw a team at some point. And I, I think 
Tomlin might have read too much into what exactly they were saying. I, I really think it was more just a heads up, just out of courtesy. This is what might happen because we screwed this up back in week three, and we don't want it to happen again. Um, at the same time, I don't think there nobody should have thought that that was you know he was down for one. I, I don't get that yeah. explanation at all. But to me, it was it, it felt more like Tomlin probably didn't quite understand what they were saying, and he probably assumed that that was the you know the the, the, the issue in question. You know it, they possibly think that he got touched down at the one that's why they're looking at it it, it was emphasized too much and it, to me it's more telling that tomlin would bring it up with that level of, of granular detail <laughs> two days after the fact to me it says his, his head was elsewhere that to me is really why they didn't have anything decent set up for the end um it's really just kind of a nightmare situation for the Steelers. um it, you know I, I don't want to go as far as to say it's embarrassing but you've got to have your wits about you in that situation you really do you know, I get that they're excited. I get that it's, you know, kind of a controversial uh, uh, call. It's taking a considerably long amount of time for them to, to review all the irrefutable evidence they had in front of them, apparently. Uh, either way, they, they need to be a lot smarter than that. They need to be ready. This is a team that, you know, not that long ago, they love, you know, uh, short-yarded situations at the goal line. They love two-point conversions. They, they probably have 20 of these plays. Why? To me, it just doesn't seem that they wouldn't have had the ability to, to be able to call a couple of these while they're they're sitting around waiting for the review to take place. But uh, I, I, I can't say that happened, watching what they went with at the end. Neil, thanks as always. It was good to talk to you again. Hopefully we'll do it again in the future, and we encourage everybody to read Steeler Wire and uh, all the other Wire sites across the NFL via the USA Today digital platform. Definitely. Thanks for having me, Tim. All right, Neil Coulong from Steeler Wire. You can read my commentaries there uh, pretty much weekly, along with about seven or eight others that I do throughout the National Football League. We touched on just about all the teams. So, I appreciate listening today. Mark will be back tomorrow or Thursday. Mark will be back on Thursday and he'll be at Buford's in advance of Blue Jackets and Penguins. Listen to that game right here on 105.9 X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. It'll be the hoity-toity instead of the hoi-polloi. Double M, what's up? Idiots are often happy, but they have no real impact in this world. Unless, of course, they're good enough to make the NFL. The X at 105.9. Good work by Bobby. Found the answer to our question. There's some guy from the MGM that lost 100,000. Was it 100,000 or six-figure? Just six-figure? A six-figure bet of some sort on the Steelers-Patriots. I don't know if that was over-under. I don't know if that was who covers New England or Pittsburgh, but they both flipped when the touchdown went on the board and then came off. That's why Musburger's so mad about the NFL catch rule. Like it was, did you see that? Like He sent out this tweet that was just excoriating the National Football League for the catch rule. Why do you think it's Musburger? Obviously, he bet the Steelers, or obviously, he bet the over. Maybe both. It's Musburger. Of course that's why he's mad. You think he's mad about the result of the game? Come on. Who are we kidding here? Uh, quick hockey note. I know we got a lot of Steelers calls still up here, but for uh, Penguins fans, if you missed it, they got Jamie Alexia, the um, 6'7", 265-pound defenseman from the Dallas Stars. They traded Archibald, and they got Michael Layton back, the goaltender from Arizona. Uh, some draft picks going back and forth, too, in terms of compensation. But um, I was just looking at some goalie numbers here. Tristan Jari right now, uh, 249 goals against average. Matt Murray, 288. Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, during the 2010 season, all the way through 2016, never had a goals against average that high for either Jari or Murray. It's amazing 
how lenient we are with analyzing our goaltenders now, isn't it? Have you heard, well, I mean, his numbers aren't very good. Yeah, but look at the saves. I mean, he was talking about, yeah, but I mean, look at his goals against. Look at, look at his save percentage. And it doesn't happen as much anymore around here, does it? All of a sudden, we become very lenient without, and, and look, I'm not saying those two, those two have been great. Uh, those two have, sa- uh, my point is, for whatever reason now, now that Flurry isn't the guy that we're talking about, Mr. Lightning Rod isn't the guy that we're talking about, all of a sudden, people realize goals happen for different reasons besides the goaltender. I mean, who knew? I mean, how many great saves did Matt Murray, and one of the goals was not good, but how many great saves did he make last night in that game? And even Jari when he was participating more frequently. Well, Murray was hurt when he was the starter. As I said to, I think it was Caulfield earlier in the show when he was on with us, Jay Caulfield, there were a lot of 4-2 to losses that should have been 6-2 to with the way those two guys have performed. Uh, I'm amazed that their goals against average are only 288 and 249 based on the quality of shots that they have seen. There was a lot of high-quality saves that Murray made last night. I feel like I say this after every game. You know, maybe they let, let in one or maybe the goals against his five or four or whatever it is, one that they shouldn't have allowed to go in happens to get by him. But largely, they've been great. And I don't know how many times, like especially when I was doing the morning show here or when I was doing 970 more often uh, before it was more or less just Steeler program when I was doing a show every day before I left for Boston, you know, to root for the Patriots. Um, How many times I just had numbers and stats thrown in my face about Marc-Andre Foote? Look at his save percentage. Look at the high danger chances. Everybody says he makes great saves, but look at the high danger chance percentage. Look at where it is versus the rest of the National Hockey League. All the stat geeks love to marginalize whatever Fleury did but again, I'll say it, 248-288, Fleury's last time, he had 302 last year. Remember, he had all the same sort of thing. He had a, a uh, bumped-up goals against average a lot of times because he was playing the second half of back-to-backs, and he didn't have good numbers early. And he didn't have as many games by the end either. But let's throw numbers at him to marginalize anything good he did, but we don't do that anymore. Now we analyze goals for other reasons besides just the goaltender. Weird how, how that happened. Weird. Chuck from Bethel Park. Hi, Chuck. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. Uh, it was definitely uh, God's will that uh, Jesse James had a touchdown, let the Steeler fans celebrate, and then he, he God decided he didn't want them to celebrate anymore, so he took the ball away. Yes, God has a very strange sense of humor, apparently. I, when I heard Ben say that, I thought to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is a Patriots fan? <laughs> then who is the devil rooting for then? But I had two things. First, our our uh, our scenario about uh, the Cleveland game not meaning anything and Cleveland winning the last game because we're resting everybody. That's gone now. Yeah, you know what? Uh, the Steelers might have to, that might ensure the Excedrin victory parade, the the winless parade, <laughs> the zero for sixteen parade. And uh, the, the second thing, do you give Buffalo any chance of going into Foxborough and beating them now that Buffalo is playing for that last wild card or whatever? It's the only team where Gronk is better than against the Steelers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you with that. So here's a, here's what you need to know about Gronk. He grew up in Buffalo, and he played his high school ball here in Pittsburgh, and those are the two teams that he beats down all the time. Hey, did you hear Gronk in the postgame? I didn't know Gronk could be that eloquent. He went on like this two-minute soliloquy about how much he loves Pittsburgh. Really? Drop a pass for us once then. How about that? That would be nice. You, you love Pittsburgh so much, Gronk? Pull a hammy before the next game. Show me how much you love me. Get locked on the bus. I don't know. Fall down when you're dancing on a bar. Help us out a little bit. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jump on somebody else's back and get yourself suspended again one more time. Just do it the right week. Uh, Daryl from Beaver County. Hi, Daryl. You're on 105.9 The X. What's up, Tim? Hi. Hey, I, I got a comment to make, and I have a big favor to ask. Okay. Um, the comment I want to make is, back in 2007, when the uh, Patriots had the undefeated season, they played the Giants in Week 16, and then the Giants beat them in the Super Bowl. So I'm just hoping that whatever the Steelers saw uh, on Sunday, they can game plan and yeah, I mean, the Pittsburgh analogy to that is the Indianapolis Colts game. Remember when they got skewered on Monday Night Football and Marvin Harrison exposed Ike? Ike's actually been way too exposed lately. But you remember that game I'm talking about, and then they came back and they beat Indy in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's, that's the Steeler sort of analogy to that situation. But, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I don't know, though, uh, what the Steelers take away from this New England game and apply strategically that they haven't tried to before and it just hasn't worked. Um, you know, unless A.B. comes back and everything they couldn't do offensively in the second half, they can now because A.B. is healthy. Keep your fingers crossed with that, I guess. Gotcha. And I've got a favor to ask? Sure. Could we relive the good old days and could you guys play the Black Eyed Peas clip? <laughs> well, based on some of the calls we had in the first segment, we could we just did Dumb Dumber Dumberest in the first segment of calls that we did at 320. There were a couple just lumped in there out of nowhere. Uh, Matt wants to talk pens. Hi, Matt. You're on the X. Hey, hey! I want your honest, uh, honest opinion about uh, about. Uh, sorry, I'm really bad at talking, but uh, I want your I honest opinion that. about the Penguins. Uh, do you hate when you go to to attend a game in Pittsburgh? Do you hate when fans yell "shoot" all the time, or do you hate when people go on Facebook or Twitter and act like coaches and GMs? Uh, the last part, yes. The first part, no. Because they need to. The coach was yelling, shoot, last night. I, I don't have a problem with, sh- well, you know, when they get it across the blue line and haven't set up yet and they're screaming at Latang or Schultz to shoot, some of them do it at the red line. Maybe that's a bit excessive. But in general, I, I think that's cogent advice for the Penguins to follow, come to think of it. Should I get one more in here? Frank in Murraysville will get you in before the break. Uh, hi, Frank, go ahead. Am I on? Frank, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, with all the controversy over the catch, I decided to look up the rule book. Rule book clearly states the two-foot rules, like when a receiver's catching ball, two feet have to come down. Okay. In extension to that, one knee can come down is considered two feet if he's not touched by the opponent. Okay. So at that point, he's no longer a receiver. He is now a runner. And any movement from that point on is considered a runner. So thus, yeah, that and that's why I get so mad at Mike Pereira for making it sound like it's a good rule, or at least sticking up for the adjudication and interpretation of the rule, because the rule in and of itself in that situation is counterintuitive and contradictory. Uh, that's why I had a problem with Pereira stepping up so uh, obviously on Sunday for the rule and for the refs that actually called it the way that they did. If there's contradictory information and how the rule should be interpreted, then go with the part of the call that makes you feel like it made more sense. The initial is that that note at the end, that section four note that this guy and other guys have been uh, spitting out there in the wake of the Jesse James catch, which is initial contact. He survived the initial contact with his knee, and then the going to the ground came thereafter. Well, like I just said, those are counterintuitive points. They're contradictory points. So why 
go with the interpretation that is the play resulting in the least amount of sense in the end. In the end analysis, you made the harder call. Why? Neil Coolong next from Steeler Wire. We continue to talk about this and more. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. Wait, the monkey was wearing a hairpiece?